This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Uh, we want to welcome back on our show, author and speaker, Mirabai Starr. We want to focus on her new book, Wild Mercy, Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of the Women Mystics. Uh, Mirabai, thank you so very much for taking the time to come back on the show with us. What a joy to be with you, too. Mirabai, you are now tied for the lead of uh, return guests. This is your third appearance. That's right, <laughs> Marion Williamson has well, also been well, on three times. And, and she's sure. running for president. So. I'm, say, I'm not even running for president. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations on the new book. If you uh, keep turning them out at this pace, you'll be uh, setting new records for appearances. <laughs> Um, it looks terrific, and from what I've read, it is. Um, tell us, since you've been on before, we can uh, skip the uh, spiritual history that we probably asked you earlier. Um, tell us what led to this book and uh, what the passion was that drove you to, uh, or the insight, whatever it was, that was the spark for writing Wild Mercy. I've been teaching about women mystics for the last five years or so uh, through the Shift Network and, and other spaces. And um, as a result of that, I have begun to gather these feminine wisdom treasures kind of almost in spite of myself uh, along the way, wisdom teachings from all of the world's great spiritual traditions. And it just felt natural to compile everything into a single space and I was asked to do so but I have to say that once I decided to do this as a book it became a very different kind of journey a different body of work than when I was teaching and mm. I, I think it's because I love writing the written word as an art form is, is really important to me. And I think that that with all the books that I've done, what's really underlying them all is this great love of language. Both my parents are writers and, we, and they read to us when we were young. And I just have this need to, to um, craft language in such a way. It's like that Michelangelo quote, something about, I saw the angel in the marble and I kept carving until I released it. Right, right. That's yeah. how I feel about about the written word. It's this it's this deep artistic relationship for me that frees some kind of angel. And and so writing this book became um, a wildly creative, really joyful process of encountering these women mystics and also goddesses and archetypal wisdom beings across the spiritual traditions with whom I already felt I had a deep um, and abiding relationship, but somehow through the crucible of the written word, something rather alchemical and magical seems to have happened. Well, uh, Mirabai, uh, I was always taught never to judge a book by its cover, but I love, love <laughs> the cover of your book. And uh, I, I, I want you to... Uh, describe it to our listeners, and, and how did it come into being? It's a fabulous cover. 
It is really the the most beautiful cover I think I've ever seen. What happened was that as I was describing the qualities of the feminine to my publisher who was asking me, um, you know, Tammy Simon from Sounds True was saying, well, what, what are these qualities of the feminine? And I, I had a different title originally, by the way, it was Indwelling, which had mm. to do with the Shekhinah and the indwelling feminine presence of the divine. But as I was describing these qualities, wild and merciful kept coming up. And Tammy said, I think that's it. It's not mm. indwelling, it's too quiet. It's wild, it's merciful, it's wild mercy. <laughs> and so uh, that's where the title came from. And that led me to think more about the cover. Now, as you probably well know, authors rarely have any input on their cover. That's the publisher's choice. It's it's not something, uh, sometimes they'll consult an author and yeah. see what their opinion is. But in my case, they asked me, do you have any ideas for the cover? And mm -hmm. I had just gone to a museum show, an opening of this artist, Erin Courier. And I was so taken with her art. I actually been watching her uh, flowering as an artist for many years from the time she first began showing in a little coffee shop in Taos. And now she's an internationally renowned museum artist and social mm. activist because her art is very much activist art. And I just saw that it would be a perfect fit. I approached her. I said, how would you feel about, about doing the cover of this book? And she was very excited when she saw that the book has a strong political and social element as well as, as a spiritual one, which was right up her alley, that combination of, of spirituality and, and justice. And it just seemed like a great fit. So she sent me about a dozen different, actually less, maybe a half a dozen different ideas after she read the first draft and this is the one that i picked with great care why explain it for the listeners who are now intrigued and googling it <laughs> right so, so my dentist asked me to describe it so it's a it's a picture of a woman who looks a lot like Frida Kahlo. in fact ah. Lila Downs, who did the soundtrack for the movie frida and in many ways that uh, resembles her so it's a Latina woman with long braids and dark eyebrows and red, red lips. And she's, and she's wearing a, a classic embroidered huipil from Oaxaca. And she's surrounded as if a halo by the Mexican Loteria cards. The Loteria cards are very distinctly um, part of, of Mexican culture. And she's looking, her chin is slightly up and her eyes are slightly looking down like, she, she's like, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. do you think or what do you make of it? Or it's like a slightly challenging expression, but also incredibly strong and centered. Yes. And I, that's the feeling that I'm having about the rising of the feminine right now. She crosses all cultural boundaries. She's really speaking to us from the margins and from populations of color. And she's challenging us in this kind of fierce yet grounded um, way. She's, she's rooted in a kind of equanimity, the feminine, that is. And, and that, I feel, really reflects what I'm trying to, to write about in this book. And my yeah. deep honoring of, Latina, of Latino culture, particularly Latina culture, which has um, been part of my life since I was a small child. 
on first glance, I thought it was a depiction of some one of the uh, Latina, like Our Lady of something. And, yeah. and, and so it evokes that. And uh, she has a tenderness and a humor as well as the fierce quality. And you know what the book title reminded me of? What? You'll... You must have thought of this because you, you're a friend of Ramdas, but Wild Mercy and Fierce Grace. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I That's brilliant, Phil. I don't think I consciously that um, ever crossed my mind, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Mirabai, I wanted to ask, uh, uh, a mystic is somebody who has a deep inner experience or experiences and those are universal experiences and ultimately that experience of deep, deep silence. Uh, with with a, a, In your study of women mystics uh, and also male mystics, is the filter slightly different in terms of how that deeper experience is experienced and or how it is expressed uh, from, from uh, a women, woman mystic as opposed to a a male mystic. Mm, what a beautiful question, Dennis. Very deep question. Well, the way I would define a mystic is similar to what you're you're defining it as: someone who has a direct encounter with the sacred, direct, mm -hmm. naked, intimate encounter, relationship, experience of divinity of the sacred unmediated through any particular forms of sacred rituals or anything, uh, or any authority figures, even more important. It's deeply personal. And a mystical experience is also one in which the boundaries of the separate self melt and dissolve into the one so that the subject and object, lover and beloved, dissolve into, into one being in some sense, at least temporarily, at least fleetingly. Now, if that is the universal mystical experience of dissolving into the one and experiencing that dissolution of the self as a, a becoming one with love itself, then I think the differences between the masculine mystical experience and the feminine one, and by the way, I have to pause here, bookmark that, and say, of course, what all of your listeners already know, which is that I'm not talking about men and women. I'm mm -hmm. talking about the masculine and the feminine in all of us. Um, and so the feminine experience of, of mysticism or of a mystical encounter with the, with the one often expresses itself in a much more embodied way. So if the mystical experience is a fleeting one, then when we return to this illusion of separation, which all the religious traditions, all the mystical traditions tell us is, is the case, that separation is an illusion, but here we are, then the feminine often experiences that love, um, mo that moment of, of dissolving in love as a deeply embodied, grounded, earthly experience. Whereas for the masculine, it's, it's often a matter of transcending physicality, transcending multiplicity through efforts such as purification practices 
as if there was something impure, something um, diluted and illusory about embodied experience and that the way to get to God through the, the masculine paradigm is to kind of beat ourselves into submission, press down our desires, purify our bodies and our minds so that we're worthy of that divine encounter. Whereas I think for the feminine, there is an experience of recognizing that everything is holy. That's the incarnational reality, right? Is that spirit breaks itself open and pours itself into every particle of creation because creation is loved and lovable. And therefore, there's nothing that isn't holy. So I think the, the feminine mystic is broken open to the sacred within the presence of the sacred within the so-called ordinary, whereas the masculine is more conditioned to transcend embodied experience. Nearby, mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the sacred feminine or the divine mother and the rise of the feminine um, in the last 10, 15 years or so. Um, and a lot more attention given to the feminine aspect of the divine. Why don't we pause for a minute and have you define exactly what you mean by the feminine hmm. and um, how it differs from what we think of as the, uh, the sort of sacred masculine. Hmm. Yeah, I think that in, in some ways it's, it's what I was just alluding to that, that the masculine spiritual paradigm is often about transcending the body, purification, perfection, which is predicated on a belief that the body is somehow impure and the mind is somehow imperfect, the personality, all of that. The feminine, I feel, is much more um, affirming of embodied experience, is much more inclusive. And when I speak of feminine, again, in both women and men, I'm speaking of of a collection of attributes or, or mm. qualities. And so, what are they? Uh, mercy. <laughs> Wildness. <laughs> mercy. Um, tenderness. Loving kindness. Um, inclusiveness. Relationality. Uh, also, a, an, um, a willingness to be a, to be a radical truth teller. Kind of a, at all costs. So these are qualities, mercy, loving kindness, wildness, inclusiveness, radical truth telling, but also tendencies or, or impulses such as um, nurturing, relational, as I said, community building, I think is a, is a really big part of, of the feminine. She's much more, much less about individual liberation and salvation and much more about the experience of the community and, and building community, nurturing community, uh, bringing out other people's strengths and celebrating them. She's also <clears throat> rather subversive. The feminine is uh, a rule breaker. You know, the masculine is, is much more traditionally about regulating and legislating dogma and so on. And the feminine is, is going to find a way to break the rules and pull the rug out from under the 
the patriarchy in, in some sense, um, either overtly or, or not so much, much more overtly now. And yet she does it with love, with tenderness. The feminine, I think, is more heart-centered. The masculine tends to be more rational or more um, building a case for something, whereas the feminine is about uh, feeling it, experiencing it, and allowing it to shift the landscape of the heart in some way. Mm-hmm. Amir Bright, are there rituals that have been specifically developed in different traditions to enliven the feminine in both men and women so that uh, the mystical experience can be uh, experienced from that feminine perspective? Mm, what a beautiful question. Yes, I mean, I, some. Um, I think most of the rituals and ceremonies and, and so on um, liturgies in the world's established religious traditions have been designed for and by men and do not emphasize the feminine experience, but there are some that certainly do. And the main one that comes to me is music. Sacred music in all traditions has this powerful way of knocking on the doors of the heart, the gates Mm. of the heart, and they open and something flows in that is direct and embodied and deeply holy. Right. So sacred music would be the would be the main one. But I also find that silent sitting practice, contemplative prayer is what Teresa Santa Teresa of Avila called it, and many other Christian mystics called it contemplative prayer. But I think in any spiritual tradition, the practice of silence is in itself subversive and is and leads to a kind of feminine space of unregulated, intimate communion with the object of the heart's deepest longing. Mm-hmm. And so I see that in a way also as a very feminine, potentially a very feminine practice. Phil, if I could follow up on that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I never made this connection or before, but uh, when I was a young kid, I was about 10 years old, I was at a camp, and the, the day always ended with uh, a group of 100 boys surrounding a statue of the Virgin Mary and singing the Salve Regina in Latin. And probably if I had to look back and think of a spiritual experience I had when I was a kid, it would have been, that would have been during that, that's, that singing. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and, and thinking about it from what you're saying now, I think that spiritual or mystical experience definitely had a stronger feminine uh, component. So, yeah, and you mentioned song, and I, I think it had that effect. How beautiful, Dennis. I'm just picturing it. Wow. Um, Mirabai, in the book, you uh, evoke some wonderful female mystics, people, oh, women who have uh, made a mark on the spiritual landscape of their time and place. Teresa of Avila, like you mentioned, your namesake, Mirabai, the, the, the great poet of India, uh, Sufi saint Rabia Basri and Mother Mary and others. And you also invoke uh, what we think of as goddesses, um, who have been depicted in different forms like Kuan Yin and Kali and Durga and, and so forth. Is there in practice 
a difference between what is to be gained from the human embodiments of the female mystics and the goddess uh, energies that are evoked. And how, how are they different and how do you use them uh, in the book? Mm, what an interesting question. Yeah, they're different. They're, uh, so I'm writing about these great historical women who show the way, who are exemplars, who are role models even for how to live an activated spiritual life. And by that, I mean a deeply committed interior life and then expressing the fruits of that inner experience and service in the world. So I picked a variety of women across the spiritual tradition. So I feel really embody that. And also some contemporary women who either, well, I know them all, but there some are known in, to the world at large and some are known only to, to me and our friends. <laughs> um, and so I write about each of these women who I think are luminaries. They light the path. For me, these the goddess figures that I wrote about from, again, across the spiritual traditions are archetypal energies. They're, you don't have to believe in their ontological existence, their existential you know, reality that Kuan Yin is some kind of goddess being hovering in the air around you, although that certainly doesn't hurt to, just to use that um, faculty of imagination to experience her that way. But these archetypes, like Kuan Yin and Kali and the Shekhinah and Sophia, serve also as luminaries for to light our own path by virtue of their primary qualities, right? So Kuan Yin's primary quality is loving kindness, is mercy. Um, Kali's primary quality is that kind of fierce mother energy that will take her sword and slash away anything that stands between ourselves and our liberation and so those are the, those archetypal qualities embodied in each of these goddess figures if we call on them i feel like we can draw on the those qualities in ourselves and awaken them when we need them most when we need their courage or their um, gentleness or whatever their primary qualities are saraswati i i'm sitting at my desk right now and looking at a statue of Saraswati that I have, who is the goddess of creativity in the Hindu tradition, as you well know, Phil. And, um, and she's there for me as a writer to inspire me in my work. However, I also feel that there is a true and tangible element of um, support. I call them my team. So whether I'm sitting down to write a chapter or I'm stepping onto a stage to talk to a thousand people, I am calling on my team <laughs> every time. I'm about to embark on a book tour and I'm going to many, many places over a relatively short period of time and it's making my head spin just thinking about it. And I keep reminding myself, Mirabai, you're not alone. Your team is with you. The mother is with you. All these great wisdom beings are surrounding you and holding you so that you can do their work. And I even include my grandmothers and my great-grandmothers who I haven't met. I, I was very close to my grandmothers. 
and to my daughter who died when she was 14 in a car accident, Jenny. And that, that actually coincided with my first book coming out into the world. And so Jenny is part of my team. The, the minute Jenny died, she became an ancestor. And I have felt mm-hmm. her very tangibly as um, a great source of support and love and humor and, and energy for me as I step up into this work that I feel called to do. Uh, Mirabai, uh, amongst that team of deities, is there a favorite deity? You mentioned Saraswati. Is there a deity that you look to before all other deities? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. Yeah, maybe I would say the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah mm-hmm. in, the, in Judaism, in mystical Judaism, mm-hmm. is the indwelling feminine presence of the divine, right? And um, that she's so much for me about embodiment, about incarnation, about infusing all of reality with the sacred. And in Judaism, there's this strange story of her being exiled. And she only comes back on Shabbat, from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. She returns from exile so that bride and bridegroom are reunified and and the Godhead is restored to wholeness for that period. such a holy time in Judaism. And so my sense, you know, the subversive part of me as a woman spiritual seeker is, well, why does she have to be in exile the rest of the time? Mm. Like, maybe... It's her time to return from exile, not just the Shekhinah, but what she represents, the indwelling feminine presence that is the imminence of, of the Godhead that infuses all that is. Why must she live in exile except for the Sabbath? Why not welcome her home to the heart of, of this world where we need her um, so, so deeply? So I would say the Shekhinah would be my my go-to goddess girl. In fact, I I wrote a, a prayer to her at the beginning of the book, and I wrote it f- for myself. I mean, I wrote it to her, but I wrote it for myself as an invocation as I began writing the book. And it has served for me a very powerful function, and I've shared it with many people since then for whom it also seems to have this, this um, alchemical invocational quality in their lives and in their communities. So I really feel like she wrote the prayer. Great. Um, Okay, so now that's a a good segue to what uh, I was going to ask um, later, but I'm going to jump the gun. Um, You allude to, and many others have in recent years, about the, uh, to the importance of bringing the divine feminine more uh, into manifestation. Um, not just that it is happening, but there's a reason for it and a, a need for it. Um, and I would love to have you elaborate on that because, you know, it. to some of us, you know, this has been um, uh, something we've anticipated for a long time and welcomed. Um, and then we have a political situation now, uh, not just in America, but in the world, where this kind of what's been called toxic masculinity and this macho lunacy is uh, empowered. But at the same time, 
we had here, if it, that's if it's at all symbolic, this incredible number of fabulous women entering the U.S. Congress. Can you apply what you are bringing out in Wild Mercy to the the nuts and bolts of our situation now? Mm. Yeah, I feel like what's happening is that the feminine has been repressed for millennia. I mean, there there's some understanding that in the Neolithic period and so on, um, the goddess and the feminine were valued and cultures were more matriarchal. Um, I don't know. I suspect that that the patriarchy was alive and well then too. But what's happening is that over the millennia, as the organized institutionalized religions became more powerful, they became more more and more patriarchal, that is more male dominated. And any feminine wisdom that began that would rise was pushed down and buried and repressed as and punished as quickly and vigorously as possible. And so the feminine found all kinds of ways to flower, but through the cracks in the in the pavement, if if you know what I mean. Now I feel like what's happening across the landscape of the human community, that is religion, politics, the arts, and every other element, science, is that the, it's like the, the ground is cracking, the pavement is shattering, and the feminine is just breaking out and spilling onto the scene in every direction and can no longer be repressed. And she's not in the mood to be um, told what to do and to be told to go back to her corner. She's, you know, the face of that of that beautiful woman on the cover of my book kind of says it all. Mm-hmm. She's not, she's not um, agitated about it. Oh, no, she actually, she is. She's agitated, she's angry, but she also is rooted in a deep knowingness and a fierce groundedness now. And she knows what she wants and she knows what what the world wants which is the wild merciful connectedness of the divine feminine not only divine feminine let's eliminate the the capital letter d and the capital letter s for sacred sacred feminine divine feminine all feminine is sacred and divine i mean just by virtue of being feminine i'm not disparaging the masculine but let's just stick with the feminine right now she is by her nature holy and so she's infusing all of these different spaces with those very attributes and qualities that I named earlier, that kind of ferocity that's also balanced by deep kindness and is very interested in the liberation of everyone, not just herself, of, of uplifting all of her sisters and brothers and the animals and the, and the waters and and the air and Mother Earth herself. So there's this strong emphasis on connection and on taking our rightful place in the web of interbeing rather than this kind of strong individualistic dominant kind of stance that has that has characterized the matter. The other thing I would I would notice about the feminine out loud here is that 
there's a way in which the feminine is more comfortable with ambiguity than the masculine is. She's willing to abide in the mystery more. She doesn't have to have all the answers and have everything figured out and treat everything as a problem that needs to be solved in some mechanistic kind of fashion, this, that the world is a broken thing that we need to figure out and repair. There is an element of, of mending and tending, but it's not coming from a place of um, fixing as much as, as this impulse to take the brokenness of the world into her arms and listen and tend from that loving space, not just motherly space, although it is, it is motherly and nurturing, but also a sister space, also a lover space. All of those qualities of the feminine are emerging now. Very, very beautifully put. Mirabaya, thank you so very, very much for your time and coming back on the show. Again, the book, Wild Mercy by Mirabai Starr, and uh, uh, the book is available uh, when this uh, podcast will be broadcast. Any any final words you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, I have like another question, question, if, if I, I can, can, Dennis. Yeah. May I? have to keep it brief. We have time for Yeah, yeah. Mirabai, I was going to ask what your final um, message would be to listeners, but I, want to, I, I would invite you to um, speak specifically to the men listening. What, what message would you give to the men about everything we've talked about here now and the importance of the feminine? If you're listening and you're a man, you're already doing it. There's, <laughs> there's so many beautiful men right now, everywhere I look, who are saying yes to the feminine. Yes, we've been waiting for you. I've been trying to invite you in, and I'm listening, and I'm paying attention, and I'm letting you lead. And that's what I think men need to do, is that deep listening, that voluntary uh abdicating of their positions of power and privilege and handing it over on purpose to the feminine right now, knowing deep in your bones that, that the patriarchal model, the masculine model has not worked. Well, it's done fine. It's done a lot of good, but now it's also done a lot of harm and it's time to overemphasize in many ways um, the feminine. And I think many of you are off to a really beautiful start and I bow to you. And I bow to you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Any uh, final words? I hope that uh, I would invite everybody listening to uh, go to your website, see where you're going to be in the world, and see if they, if you will be passing their way on your travels. Mm-hmm. Yes, please do. I'd love to see any of you out there in the world. In fact, I need you. So, so show <laughs> up for me and show up for each other. Because this is very much a collective awakening, and I'm very excited by what's happening. And and get the book, Wild Mercy, Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of the Women Mystics. Uh, uh, Go out and get it, and uh, you can find out everything, and we'll have this posted up at mirabystar.com, and you'll get to see the cover of that book that we've been describing. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mirabai. Thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. Take care.